I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week. First up, Kavitha Davidson, a sports and culture writer for The Athletic, host of the Culture Calculus Podcast. She is followed by Jimmy Traina, the Sports Illustrated writer and the host of the SI Media Podcast. This is very heavy sports media talk if you want a sports media nerd out. Two conversations where we hit on a ton of topics from the hiring of Wayne Gretzky to Kenny Mayne leaving ESPN to sports gambling, all the money floating into sports media, challenge of covering the Tokyo Olympics, what's going on with streaming services, why Adnan Burke got whacked by the WWE. So two conversations, uh, very heavy sports media this week. I think you're going to enjoy them. First up is Kavitha, followed by Jimmy Traina on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, Kavitha Davidson, my colleague at The Athletic, is a sports and culture writer for that publication. She's the host of the Culture Calculist podcast. And recently, this is pretty big news here, recently appeared as a correspondent on HBO's Real Sports with Brian Gumbel. Uh, Kavitha, we may be seeing you on a billboard in Times Square one day, given this career trajectory. Well, thank you, man. I, I wouldn't go quite that far, but it was extremely a thrill. You know, I grew up watching three shows that I'd always wanted to be on, and Real Sports was one of them. So I'm, I'm very lucky. <laughs> And Kavitha, who is an amazing voice, uh, used to be the uh, the co-host of the Lead Podcast, which is the Athletics Podcast. That's uh, uh, now um, Andres Kelto, Kelto, right, and uh, and Tiffany Oshinsky, um, who's doing that now. So Kavitha has uh, graduated from that, and as now. Yeah, and extremely, extremely excited about what they've been doing and so proud of what we built there. And, you know, we've we've managed to win a couple of awards and, you know, just really happy to see, you know, the continuation of what we started. And now you become a big television star, Kavitha, which is always what happens. <laughs> Go, you know, next you'll be doing prestige television on Netflix or something like that. That's how the art goes. <laughs> All right, here we go. Kavitha um, has worked for many different places, including... Um, ESPN and elsewhere, and uh, she knows sports media. Probably, uh, it's probably my fault for not having her on more before, but I'm going to pop in with her every now and then. And could be the first, uh, you know, I want to get to the Olympics with you because I know that's something both of us are really interested in. But um, from you know, from afar, when you saw that um, Wayne Gretzky was hired, which just came down this week, is going to be uh, Turner Sports's main studio analyst. What 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 came to mind with that hire? Um, I mean, it's a very obvious play for the name, right? Like you're hiring Wayne Gretzky because he's Wayne Gretzky and you're hoping people tune in for that. And they will, at least in the beginning. But my first thought was really, you know, as as great as he is, he's probably too diplomatic for his own good. I agree. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he did he did a lot of pandemic coverage, um, a lot of media for um, for NHL.com during the shutdown last year, um, especially in the lead up to the draft uh, and, and talking to rookies. And, you know, obviously you can't deny how much Wayne Gretzky knows this game, but can he be dynamic in that role? And I guess, does that put even more pressure on whoever they end up hiring to be the studio host to counterpart, to be his counterpart in there? Um, I'll be interested to see how this, how this goes. And I, I, I know that you wrote a couple of times, Richard, that, you know, he's not going to be a Charles Barkley, even though apparently Barkley had something to do with, uh, with bringing him over to TNT, but you know, that can't be the expectation for him. So then where do you find that diamond, that dynamism and, you know, that kind of personality that you hope to, to get out of that role in an in a, in a in a brand new broadcast team on a channel that hasn't covered hockey before, so it's it's going to be an interesting experiment for sure. Yeah, so that's the thing. I mean, I think you, I mean you totally basically I think hit sort of the 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 most interesting part here is that Gretzky immediately gives you like a marquee. He gives you name recognition. He I think helps sell your studio show to advertisers and media buyers, but. Anybody who's watched him over the years in interviews, he's polite, uh, 
I, I think maybe cautious is a little too strong, but he's certainly semi-cautious if you want to sort of throw that part in. He is not one, Kavitha, ever to criticize people. Um, rarely. I mean, occasionally maybe he will criticize something that happened in the league. And so I'm with you. Like, I think the only way this works is, one, if he gets comfortable in the studio, and two, I think you have to partner someone with him who's a bit of a um, – who's got edge or is is – not necessarily intentionally, but ultimately says things that are more controversial than not. You know, like, I feel like he's cool, like, and you need someone who's hot, if if you know what I'm saying, in terms of, like, temperature-wise, to make that studio work. The other thing, too, is that's a tricky job now, whoever gets hired as a studio host, because you're going to have some pretty different personalities um, on that studio show for a sport that sometimes is weird when it comes to criticism as you know we've certainly seen in Canada with Don Cherry etc mm-hmm. well yeah I mean I guess the question is for that studio host role do you hire someone with a with a ton of experience because they're basically going to have to draw out the most out of Gretzky right um but that list is extremely short. I've seen I've seen the name John Tortorella thrown around a lot, and obviously he falls into exactly what you're talking about when you talk about you know someone with more um, of you know less afraid to say controversial things, and and the things that he'll say on a broadcast will most likely make headlines the next day. Um, but that's also a risk, right? So you know I don't. I don't really know how this ends up working. My question also, I mean, you made the point about about this being front facing for ad buyers. and That's absolutely true. But what about, you know, where does this actually land with viewers? I feel like any hockey fan tuning in to watch Wayne Gretzky on a broadcast probably was going to tune into a nationally broadcast hockey game anyway. But if you're trying to expand that viewer base, you know, you need someone in that role who is super dynamic and who is interesting and who will bring people who wouldn't have normally tuned in. Uh, onto this onto this broadcast. And I'm just not sure if, you know, Wayne Gretzky as he stands right now, as his personality is right now, is that is the person to do that. I want to uh, I want to do one thing before we get to the Olympics, and that's Kenny Maine. How long did you work at ESPN for? Uh, I was at ESPN um, from for uh, roughly for two years, uh, 2016 okay. to 2018. All right, so that's long enough, I think, to get a little bit of a sense of the culture. Obviously, you weren't there as long as Kenny Maine or you know the Mike Golick types who who sort of were there for multiple decades. But from from looking at that place from the outside, um, it, how do I sort of phrase this? Like. It, I think anybody who sort of is going to like sort of use common sense who is listening to my voice here understands that I recognize Kenny Maine has had a lottery ticket career. The salary that he has made is like in the 99 or 98th percentile of, you know, U.S. income. So like that, the, the, I'm prefacing that sort of understanding that like no one should feel bad for people who are making that kind of income. I get that. At the same time, you work at a place for a long time, you know, you sort of think you do good work, and then your employer comes and says, we're offering you a 61% pay cut. And while at the end of that pay cut is still some really good money, they are essentially telling you what they think your worth is as an employee. And I, while I'm not struck necessarily anymore covering this by pay cuts, I have to be honest, when Kenny Maine told me that it was 61%. Uh, even I was taken aback by that. And I wonder just from afar how you how you saw that one. Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't begrudge anybody how much they make, especially in this industry, especially oh, yeah. someone who's been who's been at the role as long as Kenny was. Um, we saw this exact same thing with Grant Wall at SI, though, right? Um, and the tactics used are often to leak how much money these people make yep. because it makes the rest of us who don't make that feel like, well, listen, why should I feel bad for this guy? Exactly. It's like fuck, fuck you, here. guy, who's pissed, who's 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 complaining about a three hundred thousand dollar year salary or whatever. Exactly, and and. But but that, but it's exactly the same thing that happens when fans complain about players either not taking a pay cut or holding out for more than than what they've been offered initially. Because the implication here is you are lucky to work where you are, instead of that this company has been lucky to have you as an employee for as long as you did, and clearly have a a, a strong following and and succeed if you've been at a company for twenty plus years, right? So, I mean, I again, like I understand, and you know, we're coming off of a year in which you know half the country was on. 
unemployed for a while and and nobody nobody feels bad for the state of of Kenny Maine's living situation but it is absolutely an insult when an employer asks you to, to take a pay cut at that level especially when let's be real I mean I know that ESPN is is needing to do a lot of cost cutting and cost analysis as most media companies are as the industry is ever shrinking um, but this is you know this isn't also a one-off this isn't something new when I was there there were two different um, there were two different rounds of major layoffs when I was at ESPN and it's always devastating when that happens and for one of them at least it was mostly the guys who had been there for 20 years who made a lot of money Um, and again nobody's going to feel bad for them but at the same time what are they supposed to do and if you have if you are in the working situation if you've built the respect in the industry to be able to kind of say well fuck you I'm not worth taking a pay cut and I don't need you um, and that's an insult then you know I you know power to you I support that yeah, and you're right. I mean, the, the reality is Kenny Mayne has enough money where, you know, unless he's, you know, sp- unless he splurged on Maseratis and Bentleys, he's going to be okay for the rest of <laughs> unless his life. Unless he sunk 80% of it into Dogecoin. Uh. <laughs> right, exactly. But, you know, for for but but you are correct. Like, the, the people I really do feel bad for at the ESPNs are those who um, moved to Connecticut mm-hmm. and were behind-the-scenes people and put their life into that place and then, you know, are sitting there at 45 or something like that, um, you know, out of a job and you're, you know, <laughs> you're in Connecticut somewhere in the middle of Connecticut. Now you got to figure out, OK, like, what can I do? Or like what's, what's next? My, what's after my next ESPN. move? Because I just, you know, I committed my entire life to ESPN. Right. Um, and that's what's different about that place at this point is that I think if you are interested in ESPN and obviously it is still a destination job, a great job, you have to approach it as one day they're going to they're, they're going to tell you to leave. Mm-hmm. So plan all strategically. You know, how can I get the most out of that place before that day comes? And then I guess in a sense, you know, all of us have to think like that. All right. Let's finish with the Olympics. And um this is like a fascinating story to me and, and not fascinating like, oh, I'm excited about it. It's kind of like a horror show, like uh, <laughs> a slow motion horror show. A- as we're taping this today, the biggest, if I'm wrong about this, I apologize, but I think it's the biggest. I think the highest circulation paper in Japan, or certainly one of the uh, the most notable ones, essentially called today for the Japanese government to cancel the games. Um, and we are starting to see... I think more and more, at least in country, uh, people in Japan saying like this, this should not happen. This is a massive health risk. Of course, the IOC wants it to happen. And quite frankly, NBC wants it to happen because they're on the hook uh, um, for all this programming. And they make a, you know, a lot of their money, Kavitha, as you know, is like set by, you know, how many, how much money they can make selling ads against the Olympics. It's a big part of who they are, their DNA and their brand. It subsidizes so much of their other entries yeah. into into sports media. <laughs> so here's why, here's where I want to sort of get with you uh, sort of journalistically is this feels for NBC like a navigational nightmare that even if they do end up getting to Japan, which I still feel like they're not going to cancel the games. Like if you're NBC, like, like, how do you cover this? Do you just decide, like, we're going to punt on the journalism end and, like, just cover this as a, you know, as one big sporting game show? Or, like, is there any chance they would actually sort of cover this honestly and and and, and almost self-examine their own role in, in these games existing? Yeah, I think that's the, probably the most fascinating part of all of this because obviously, you know, they're not canceling the Olympics. Um, athletes are still going to go. The State Department is trying to, you know, say, is trying to tell Americans not to go, but Japan wasn't letting non-athletes in anyway. So that's really kind of a non-starter. The right. interesting thing about this Japanese newspaper, um, Asahi Shimbum, is that they are they are a sponsor of these games. So they uh, have already wow. answered um, the question that you're asking of NBC, basically. They, they are saying... Saying that it is their journalistic duty to, to call on on the PM to to cancel these games, even though they obviously have a major business interest here. I don't know what NBC does in this case because NBC also, I mean, obviously you've got NBC Sports, you've got Peacock, which has you know sports on it, but also major um, commentary and news chant and news um, programs where people are extremely opinionated on there. Obviously, you've got MSNBC as well. How you know? 
how are you going to control um, the messaging? And do you want to control the messaging here? You know, if I'm an employee for MSNBC or NBC News, I'm saying, well, this is a major controversy and we can't ignore this this aspect of it. But obviously, then you come into tension with the business side of things. Um, it's it's really an untenable situation, frankly. What you know, within the so we have like the sort of writ large Olympics uh, uh, questions that you just mentioned, the whole idea of like, should they be there? What's the safety of the athletes? How COVID is going to exist? Okay. Now within this, within this is why these Olympics are, are really journalistically fascinating in many ways. We are likely going to see athlete protests. Kavitha, I think me and you both agree and your, your place, real sports. Uh, I don't know when, if it probably it aired this week, actually conversation with some Olympians about this. Um, I, rule 50, like that the IOC, which sort of states, you know, athletes are not allowed to bring political protests, blah, 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 blah. Like athletes are going to, in my opinion, blow, blow through that and take, um, you know, at least some, if they decide to do it, they're, they'll, they'll risk whatever the, they'll, they'll risk whatever the IOC will sort of say, and then hope their country backs them up. But this really presents, I think something fascinating for NBC in that, how do you think they would cover if we get like a Smith Carlos moment where there's a prominent athlete on the medal stand who uh, just shall take I don't know pulls off their uniform and like they have like a Black Lives Matter shirt on or or raises a fist the way Smith and Carlos did like you know I don't want to say what they're going to do but I think the possibility of this happening is not remote at all. It's not at all, and you know when it comes to anything with the Olympics, but if you're talking about athlete protests or athlete safety, um, all of these things, this really will um, fall on the dividing lines of the haves and have nots among these athletes like Megan Rapinoe and LeBron James, if he chooses to go, um, will have a lot more leeway, I think, in in conducting some of these protests than, you know, a, 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 a swimmer who's got who's a, a last chance. Or a Olympic trial. Or right. You know, like exactly. That, yeah. Um it's interesting, though, because the USOC had said that they're not going to discipline protesting athletes. So this is an IOC versus USOC thing. Um, and and I think if I'm NBC, I'm covering this to the fullest extent, one for the eyeballs, just like, frankly, because like, you know, that's just that's the practicality of it. But two, you know, you can't at, at the end of the day, you're not you shouldn't be dictating your, you know, your journalistic practices based off of what the IOC rulebook is, because this is, you know, if, if somebody is standing up to that then that's that's a new story in itself um so it'll be really interesting i do i also just question how many people are going to watch um which is which is a whole other story but i think that the people who are tuning in they'll they'll definitely see some kind of protest at some point you know nbc sort of has been pitching um and i understand they should do this for pr play they think like the olympics in a polarized world is going to help bring us together and that the olympics are going to be communal experience and people are going to sit around and watch it I don't know. I, I, I'm not. I mean, if I were them, I'd, I'd pitch this whole same thing. And I think sports, no doubt, sports viewership has come back uh, in the last two months for sure as COVID gets much, much better in the states. But I, I'd be curious at your take on this. Do you? I mean, do do you think the Olympics are will provide the same kind of I don't know commonality that that they that they did 10 15 20 years ago it does feel like the country's in a little bit of a different place i mean i in a way i hope i'm wrong but i don't think i'm wrong I mean, I think that that's kind of a bridge too far, but that's the that's the heartstring that NBC always pulls at, right? Um, you know, it's it's the unifying aspect of the Olympics in particular, and that we can all come together under country, um, and it's it's the only excuse that we ever have to be truly jingoistic. So, um, yeah. so there there is that. But on the other hand, just like really from a practical standpoint. When half the country is vaccinated um, and we were inside for the entirety of last summer, are people going to be staying at home to watch the Olympics together? I mean, that's that's really my my question here. Now, I spend a lot of my time at bars in normal times, obviously. And the Olympics can be a huge, you know, kind of communal watching event when you're out at a bar. But I think that people are going to be outdoors. I think they're going to be on rooftops. I think they're going to be enjoying this weather and just being outside as much as possible. I just don't know how the Olympics fit into that. And then, frankly, the second part of it is I don't know how many people know when the Olympics start. (laughs) Yeah, I think one thing that NBC will do, and they they usually do a pretty good job of this is like they will flood 
your, you know, every property that they own or that they're partnered with over the, you know, when's the start of this July or whatever, you know, like in June, we're going to get, um, we're going to get inundated with it. But I think the viewership aspect of these Olympics is really interesting just to see, um, just to see how people do. Do you have a sense, uh, and maybe the answer is like the same as they reacted to the NBA or the WNBA. If we do get any kind of, um, if NBC does show the images of, of some kind of athlete protest, how do you think the American public reacts to that? I mean, I think they react dividedly the way that we react about everything, but especially when it comes to athlete protests, I think you're going to see, you know, half of viewers be extremely um, positive about it and very proud about using the platform and and about using the international stage. And then you're going to have the other half of people who are usually louder, frankly, say that this is the reason that ratings have dropped. And um, this is, you know, why nobody wants to tune in to uh, to the Olympics. Um, so I, there's yeah, I mean, you're never going to satisfy everybody with a protest like that. And And frankly, I don't think that any of the athletes who are doing it are doing it to garner a particular reaction. Um, if you don't think athletes should be protesting, that's there's nothing that's ever going to change your mind about that. So, if you you know the 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 athletic, I believe, if I'm correct, is sending a couple of people to the Olympics. Not many. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure we're focusing on basketball and soccer. If you were running a um, if you were running some kind of uh, news outlet, sports news outlet, um, how much? What would you? What, how much? What would you? How would you sort of? play this as an assignment editor how big would you go on the olympics and what would be your decision regarding sending uh reporters uh to japan right now i mean i think it starts with basketball and soccer so that's the right the right move um frankly the travel restrictions and the safety of it really do worry me more than you know whether it's smart to allocate resources to this coverage but you've got to send someone for gymnastics for gymnastics and you've got to send someone for swimming <laughs> like there's you know we can't not cover Simone Biles right now um, and then you know you hope that people can kind of share duties but you know sending three four five people to Japan in the middle of a pandemic is is a very tall ask so um, you know I get why why that coverage has to be pared down but I also don't know how profitable that is frankly like <laughs> I mean how many people are like you can't like from a from a newsworthy perspective and from a just biggest headline perspective, you can't not cover Simone Biles. But I don't know when you go down the line, you know, how many more of these storylines are worth actually, you know, spending resources on. Um, I personally want to see all of the baseball and softball coverage because it's the first year that those sports are back in the Olympic program. But I'm probably one of maybe seven people who care about that. So <laughs> No, I, I care too. I, you know, it's interesting, like, uh, this will be the last one is, um, for most of my career at Sports Illustrated, you know, I was really fortunate to be part of the Olympic team. So I covered seven of them. And when Sports Illustrated was really at its sort of, you know, financial zenith, uh, well, maybe financial zenith was the 80s, but the financial zenith in my era, I mean, we had more than 50 staffers, like at each Olympics, like we, we had a massive like news workroom. We, we threw hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of parties, corporate parties to bring clients in. And that thing, that outside of NBC or whoever the host broadcaster is like, that just feels like a relic of the past. I mean, I remember walking by the AP newsroom and the New York times newsroom. And it was the same thing, 50 to a hundred staffers, like in these gigantic newsrooms for the Olympics. I mean, that, that just feels like a relic of time past. Like, could you, I mean, could you see any uh, news group sending a hundred reporters to Beijing to cover the 2022 Winter Olympics? Like, that just seems absurd to me. No, I know. And, and it's like, I look upon days like that with such nostalgia, but it also was really like we realize now how much of a luxury that was. And, you know, I also think, you know, I haven't been in the industry as long as you have, obviously, but, you know, I started my career at Bloomberg and Bloomberg was able in in, you know, in the time that I was there, had two Olympics to cover um, and was able to send, you know, tons of people to Rio and Sochi. Now, Bloomberg Bloomberg has money like beyond beyond anyone's, you know, it's a $10 billion company. And, and frankly, the media arm is is a loss leader for the most part. Um, but at the same time, you know, they've got people stationed all over the world. So it wasn't a huge thing to send, you know, people who were already in the South American Bureau and then a couple of people from North America over there to cover. Those days are, are gone unless you're you are a Bloomberg, which is such an outlier in the media world. Um 
And I just don't know, you know, NBC also just has such a stranglehold on the access that I don't know how much there is to gain for other for other outlets by spending a ton of money sending people over um, beyond the the major headlines that you know you're going to get. So, yeah, the um, I, I was in the Bloomberg building once and it was like a, in New York City. It was a revelation. I mean, that was just like <laughs> futuristic and. Uh, crazy. I remember like the one thing that like uh, everybody who worked at Time Inc. was jealous of Bloomberg was was there was like a whole snack floor, right? If you were working the there. The entire fifth floor is just snacks. Um, yeah, right. Free soup every day at noon. Wow. Uh, ice cream Fridays in the summer. And, you know, one of those machines with the peanuts where you can like press a button and make freshly made peanut butter. Uh- oh. <laughs> yeah, this was, by the way, like, you know, B- Bloomberg here is genius, right? Because, like, they do all that to, it's like the Google premise, right? To keep you on campus, basically keep you working forever. Oh, um, 100%. And listen, yeah. it absolutely works. <laughs> like, you know, um, it's, a, it's a great office to work in. They give tours of that building because there are koi ponds um, and a lot of fish and a circular escalator that is a, is a big deal. But also, Richard, imagine, imagine your first job in sports media being at Bloomberg. You're kind of spoiled for life. Oh, yeah. yeah. By the way, if there's any athletic editors listening, send, send Kavitha and I some almonds. You Please, just, just some, some almonds. Yeah. That's good. That's right. And some Diet Cokes or something. <laughs> All right, Kavitha Davidson is a sports and culture writer for The Athletic, also the host of the Culture Calculus podcast. Check her out uh, as a um, recently appearing as a correspondent on HBO's Real Sports with Brian Gumbel. We hope to see her more on that show. Kavitha, thank you so much. This was excellent, and I hope um, I hope you will come back. Uh, Absolutely. And we'll, we'll do this uh, far more regularly than, we, uh, than we've done before. But uh, continued success, and thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Richard. Always good to talk to you. All right, as I said at the top, I mean, Jimmy Traina, does this guy need an introduction? He's a longtime Sports Illustrated writer. He does the Train of Thoughts column. He's the host of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast, which, you know, I know something about. And he is now back on the Sports Media Podcast. Jimmy, what is this number two for you on this podcast or number three? I forgot, actually. I don't know. I don't. I know. I was just on like a, a, like two months ago. Talk about I, this is a, this is this is an example of me des- being desperate for guests. So I pre- I honest in all seriousness, I appreciate you coming on. I know. First of all, I figured I must have done well last time if you asked me back so soon. And then I but then I realized it's Memorial Day weekend and nobody's listening. So you went for a shit shitty guest because it's. A, it's, 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 it's it's, it's, a it's a throwaway week. It's a throwaway week. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It's a little, little oh, you don't have to lie. I'm the one saying it. I know it's a works. throwaway week. Oh, Kavitha Davidson, who's on with you. That's uh, she, she's, she's always a good guest regardless of time of year. All right. Let's get to a couple different things here um, because there's a lot to talk about. So where do I want to start with you? Uh, all right. Here. Let's start here. I, I actually want to I want to get to w, some wrestling stuff, which sometimes bothers people, but I, I don't really get to talk about it enough with people. So I want to I want to discuss this with you. But let's let's start with sports gambling, which is something that you do. You do far more than me in terms of actively sports gamble. I find the the business of sports gambling and like the people who write about the different trends and how odds makers do stuff. I think that is fascinating. I love the stuff that like David Purdom does at ESPN, but, but I admittedly am not a sports gambler. I'm somebody who like, if I happen to be in Vegas, I will go to a sports. Oh, the 10 minute questions. Just get to it. Relax, relax. I'm, I'm setting this all up. So people at least know where I'm coming from and that people are out already. I'm setting setting you up as the expert here. So what I'm saying is I don't gamble every day. I take already. Yeah. You gamble every day is the point. Well, so, not true of total fallacy, by the way, you gamble a lot, right? I mean, you're weekly. I, no, no, I, I, no, no. I've cut it down to where I only bet on the NFL and college football. Okay. I wasn't trying to besmirch you there. I, I, I apologize. I'm I don't find it a besmirchment. Just, there was a day when I used to bet every sport, but now I just bet the NFL. I will say sometimes I'll dabble in baseball. I have a little problem with baseball, but I try not to go there. Yeah. All right. I'm going to stop filibustering, Jimmy. You're correct on this. The So the Action Network gets sold. Lebertard obviously has this uh, mega deal with DraftKings. We all know Barstool and Penn, et cetera. Um, my, uh, so let's start with an overview here. What do you make of all the money that's been floating into, um, all the sports gambling money that's been floating to different people over the last year or so? Well, listen, I, there's two sort of things going on here I, and I'm not really smart enough from a business sense to figure it all and figure it all out and make sense of it. But, you know, every, you use the word gambling, it's very broad. So 
what I think is going on with all these companies, which I find interesting, is you know you have you have your traditional betting. I'm going to bet on the Packers minus seven. I'm going to bet on the Knicks plus four, and you have you know your over unders and all that. What what's really taken off and has just really gone completely out of control from what I know, talking to gamblers, seeing what's going on, and I think this is where this ties into all these deals is the daily fantasy. I know people who have never bet a game, have no interest in betting, and then I'll get a text and they'll say, oh, I bet, you know, LeBron over 40 rebounds, points, and assists tonight. The, I mean, you could bet on every, on every game now because of these prop bets with the, you know, in daily fantasy. So because that has exploded, I think that's a big part of why you know, the, the days of where, you know, you and I growing up watching sports, starting at Sports Illustrated before the back in those days, when people bet, it was a side and a total. And that was it. That those, those days are over now. You have a smorgasbord every day. You know, if you take today, we're taping it on Friday. You have MLB, NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs. I don't know. I don't follow the other sports. So I'm not if I'm leaving anything out. Don't kill me. You can bet on anything in those games. Anything on players. You bet on the Indy, Indy 500 coming up this But week. you could probably bet on like each person's time, not just who's going to win. Yes, right. I got it. So because right. of that, I think that's a big reason why now there are all these partnerships. And of course, like if you're Penn, you know how to get the, the customer you need is a Barstool person. If you're the Action Network, who do they team up with? I forgot already. Whoever you said, like, you know. It's just a natural um, sort of marriage here to combine the sports books with sports websites, especially as it becomes legalized across the country. Right. Better. The Action Network was acquired by Better Collective, which right. is a European sports betting group. Um, so like so here's the thing. If you sort of project this out, like obviously we just sort of gave you bare bones stuff. You, you, all you people listening probably know this already. So the real interesting thing to me is, do you think we are heading in the next year to five to ten years? Where like DraftKings or FanDuel or, you know, whatever, better collective, like, do they become like the dominant website sports players? Like, are, are is it like, as opposed to SI.com, is it, I'm just sort of, you know, making it up here. Is it, is it DraftKings.com and then like Jimmy Traina, Tom Verducci, Adrian Wojnarowski are working for DraftKings.com. Maybe, maybe, maybe doing the exact same right. job. It's just under their umbrella. Listen, that's a great question. And I, I wouldn't say no. I would want to say no if someone who works with that.com. I wouldn't say no. I mean, I could see that eventually. I mean, listen, here, you know, there's the old sort of cliche about, you know, Vegas, you know, those Vegas hotels are built by the people who gamble, basically. So yeah. DraftKings, FanDuel, they're in business because of the people who bet. So they're going to be around. They're not going anywhere. So, uh, the yeah. question is, do they compete on content I think you, I, heading forward against against the ESPNs, the Athletics, and the I could SIs, very, I could they, very well see that. I could ahead. very well see that happening. Yeah, that would be that would be kind of interesting. Or you know, obviously the you know the money play for any of these places, Jimmy, is to do the partnership, right? It's just like, right. um, making this up. Like uh, DraftKings says, we'll give you a hundred million dollars for you to get signups for us. You know, mm -hmm. as opposed to DraftKings is like, okay, we're going to try to become the athletic or the or the next sports illustrated and we're going to hire all these reporters and writers because the, the latter is expensive right. as hell the former is just more of an investment in an existing right. company but there's a lot of people out there a lot of smart people yeah. who sort of are making who are positing like you know uh I'll give you some example like teddy greenstein of the chicago tribune rovell obviously went to the action network i can't believe i'm semi-praising what is your well, forget um, all this gambling stuff give me what's the status of the deitch rovell relationship that's what the people want to know I, I i i have honestly not talked to darren rovell in either uh in person or online maybe in like four do you still follow him so. on twitter uh, i i haven't i've have not followed rovell and maybe I mean, I think at one point I did block him just to sort of not have his stuff in my feed, but I, I unblocked you, him years and years ago. I think he follows me, though. I, I will say this. I, I Listen, <clears throat> criticize Ravel all you want or don't criticize him. Uh, what what I would say is, and I think you agree with this, Jimmy, with me, is unfortunately these Twitter spats become, too, one, too performative, and two, at least in my case— I never felt better afterwards. Yeah, like, well, you shouldn't. You guys are embarrassing yourself. Even if I was getting attaboys, 
What's it? Yeah, if I was even getting attaboys, like, wow, you took Rovell down. Like, it, it, no, I didn't. Like, nothing changed. No, it was like, a, that's you the, guys were a complete and utter embarrassment. I mean, I think at times that's probably true. Now I'm going to go back in your Twitter history and see if I can find you uh, can. some of your spots. But, uh, yeah, no, I've tried, you know, I mean, I, I've tried to at least. Uh, uh, well, listen, it's. You, you, you want to sort of move forward. You want to mature yeah. a little bit. And I've tried. The other thing, too, is like. Um, if I'm going to be just very blunt, like the, the world changed pretty dramatically and not for the better. And I, I, I think like if I look back, like fighting with Darren Ravel about like some bullshit uh, in sports media seems a lot less important uh, versus like voter suppression. You know what I mean? It just seems silly. And again, I'm not I'm not going to be a hypocrite here. I, I, perhaps I will, you know, again, do something stupid on Twitter and argue with people. I'm sure it will be. The oh, case. I have no doubt. But but I have. Tr- yeah, I have tried to. Uh, I have tried to get at least a little bit better. All right. Anyway, so do you? Oh, let me let me ask you one more thing on this. How would you feel personally if one of these places sort of went and said, "We want you to do exactly what you're doing for SI.com. We'll double your money. We you just have to be comfortable being associated with a gambling site." Would that be any issue to you? Not. It, I guess not. Not, right. not even in the least. You you said double my money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is what I think they would yeah, do um, in theory. I'm sure all the people who are taking these jobs, do you, um, I mean, again, we're getting a little far afield here, but uh, do, do, are, do you, as someone who obviously has played far more than me, is there any worry in your mind with all this stuff um, really being pumped uh, publicly, it becoming very, very mainstream? Do you worry about like the 25 or 30 year old person who, Gets in too deep and just loses all their money and 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 gets problematic again. We all have vices. You dr- you smoke too many cigarettes, you're in trouble. You drink too much, you're in trouble. So I get. It. I'm not moralizing it, but I, I don't know, Jimmy. What this feels like. Uh, this is really going to feel like something that's just like as common at a certain point. You know, being able to walk into some place in your city and right. bet as it, as it is doing anything else. Um. Hmm. Let's see. I do think that, I don't know. I, I, there's a part of me that also wonders about the fact that because it is mainstream, if it, yeah, if it, totally. if it can sort of in a way make people a little more responsible. I mean, I don't That's like here in New York we we can't use DraftKings and FanDuel yet because it's not legalized. Right. But it will be, but I would think, think I'm just thinking out loud here. Um, I would think if you used one of those sites, you have to use your credit card. I know there's a lot of limits. I've heard stories about, you know, if someone wins too much, they boot you. I don't know how, you know, if they lose, but you know, I, I think that's better than doing all the illegal sort of stuff and either having a bookie or, you know, so I, I don't know. I, I agree you know, with that. But I do think, listen, I do think there are going to be people though, who get addicted to this. Oh just, yeah. I mean, that's just Absol- absolutely. Sure. And I think, yeah, I mean, if you're watching an NFL game and they're going to have a scroll and tell you that, you know, the over-under on Tom Brady's passing yards is, you know, 280 and he's at, you know, when we get to that day, it, will that attract people to gamble more? Ab- absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, yeah I, I would say this, like, I, I, um, societies change. And, you know, I live in Toronto now. And you walk down the street here, Jimmy, and like, you know, cannabis shops are like as common, honestly, almost as like coffee shops. Like right. I'm not, that, I'm not being, that's not hyperbole. That's just sort of like, that's where this country is. And so, you know, I do think like societies change and vices change. And I think this may not be in our lifetime, but, but I do think at a certain point, like you're going to walk down the streets of like a New York or a Chicago and it, it, it's not going to be uncommon at all for there to be like some betting parlor or betting slash coffee slash, Whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you go to Europe, like, this is just pretty common. You walk into one of these places and bet, and I think that's coming, mostly because I think that for states and governments, it's just too easy money to, to make. Well, you know what I, I mean? mean? Like, if you're in New York State, like, where else are you getting a billion dollars, like, into your car? Well, we used to have that before the internet called OTB. I mean... Yeah. And, so, and I don't think it'll nearly be as big as sports gambling, but yes, you used to be able to walk into an OTB right. uh, and right. bet. Um, which I did, and I do love horse racing, and I did love betting on it. When there I was you younger. go. Um, 
So there you go. Yeah. And again, I, I, I think for me, I'm only talking for me. I try to avoid sports gambling because I think I have the kind of personality where if I right. did it, I would do it to excess. Well, that's why, that's, that's why right. I avoid it. That's why I avoid other vices. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. We've come to a great conclusion here. All right. Next topic is Adnan Burke. Um, so I, I am not surprised in the slightest that Adnan Burke is no longer working for the WWE. So the real question is this. All the parties at WWE, say, including Adnan, say that he left because of the schedule. And he, he sort of recognized that the schedule was going to be too tough, particularly coming up with travel. He's got a young family. He's got all these other jobs. It wasn't going to work. So here's my take on this. I believe that, Jimmy. Like, I believe there's truth there. But here's what I also believe. I believe the chairman, Vince McMahon, recognized very quickly that Adnan was not connecting with the WWE universe. I like Adnan. He's been on the show many times. I think he's a great broadcaster. But I think that's fair. That's a fair statement. That that is that that, that is whether you want to call it criticism or just reality. The WWE universe, like, the, I think they just thought he was an outsider. It wasn't working for them. On air, I think Adnan was okay, but it felt different. It didn't feel like Jr. It didn't feel like Michael Cole. Didn't even feel like Tom Phillips, basically. And so, I was not surprised in the slightest to see this happen. I think the only thing I was surprised at Jimmy was how quickly it happened. You're also a wrestling fan. How'd you, how did you see it? How can I get you to tighten up the questions? I, I like to intentionally go long with you only because I'm usually tighter because I know it bothers okay. you. So it's an it's an it's an intentional interview. That strategy. one could have been cut by about a minute. Um, Oh, I agree. I, I can ask very short questions. Yeah. He asked Patrick, my producer. He knows how okay. short my So first are. things first, did you try to get Adnan Burke on your, this podcast this week? I did reach out to him, but I did not try to get him on this week. He would not come on, uh, I don't think. So this, not this not this right. week. So I tried. Probably gonna do Lebertard too, right? He's got a he's got a whole deal with his his boy John Skipper and he works in Metal Arc Media. Anyway. I tried, he politely declined, and oh, um, you. nice the fact that I don't believe for a second he wanted out of the job because of travel. I don't believe that for one second. I think Vince is Vince. Yep. Now, listen, you can't, I mean, you sort of mentioned this in the question. You can't be surprised by anything that Vince McMahon does ever. I mean, firing someone or mutual parting of the ways after seven episodes is, you know, on a scale of like one to 10 of Vince McMahon crazy isms is like a four, but it's still ridiculous. I mean, you have, the, you brought him in, you would, you know, you had locked him up way before it was announced. You bring him in and you give him seven shows. It, now I, I think there's a lot of inside baseball stuff going on here that people listening just probably don't know anything about. Like I think Nick Khan is probably a fact was a factor in getting him hired for sure. Um, it never made any sense to me because wrestling fans don't usually appreciate it. People have nothing to do with the business coming in. And then the other factor, and this is, you know, you mentioned it also in your, you know, you said, you know, it takes time for people to get over with the WWE. I mean, look how long it took Roman Reigns to get, like people hated this guy. Now he's loved, but it took him like, think about it. Now you have an announcer coming in. How do you only give the guy seven shows? It's just not fair to him at all. You've got to give him some kind of run. I mean, if it's not working, it's not working. I get it. But like, he wasn't a wrestling guy. So how do you expect this to work right off the bat? Yeah, I, I mean, the, pro the problem here, I agree with that. Uh, the, the problem for, for Vince, and if you, it's not a problem for Vince, I would say no, no problem for Vince as the chairman. But I think where McMahon, Mc, McMahon always wants to tinker with his broadcasters. If you listen to, um, Grilling Jr. Uh, Jim Ross is incredibly honest about all the shit he had to deal with with Vince in his ear, and Vince kind of being a dick a lot when it when it came to how he worked with the, his broadcasters. I, I think Jimmy again, this is just me speculating. I think as Vince has gotten older, I think his, I think his patience is less. I think that's just. I don't think it's that. I think, I think he, he's more out of touch, and I also think another factor in all this. Well, maybe. Yeah. But I think I think he just I think he shows less patience here. I think he's moved. You know, in the last like two or three years, they, they've done a lot, Jimmy, with not just the main broadcaster like Adnan. Look at some of the other uh, broadcasters who've been in and out of there. Well, and much. again, yeah, 
again, though, I think the one factor is that we're not giving enough attention to, and I don't know how sort of you get into it to find out the real story. I think Nick Khan has has been become. Is he, I know they've made massive changes in the offices of the WWE behind the scenes, yeah, and that, a lot of and that's all Nick yeah. Khan, from what I hear. So I, you know, I don't know. To me, I'll just give you. This is my take on it. It could be totally wrong, but this is if someone says to me, "What do you think happened?" This is what I think happened. I think Nick Khan pushed for Verk. Vince had no idea who Adnan Verk was. He figured, I just hired this guy, Nick Khan, to run my company. I'm going to listen to him. And then for seven weeks, Vince thought Adnan Verk didn't do a good job, and Vince is still the boss and blew him out. So that's what I think happened. Um, but having said that, I also think that there is a factor here. Like, you know, Michael Cole did that job for a really long time, and, and, and then before him, JR. So I do think that's a tough gig no matter who you go to it's it's that's good. that was you know i even for Adnan, like taking that job like that's a really tough gig is that it are you yeah, done with that, pretty much make sure you have yep. uh all right you want a short question on this one yeah go ahead okay what are your thoughts on kenny main leaving um what a, i mean listen i think espn didn't use him properly and if, you know, I guess his salary was out there at one point, something million to do sports center sports center is not what it was. Yeah. yeah that was, that was, that was leaked. Yeah. Yes, um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, um, sorry, I'm trying to figure out, come on, Jim, Jimmy, get it. I mean, this, come on, man. I mean, not, you're a podcast. Yeah. Host. No, I just oh, listen. Yeah. It's a, I think it's a crappy situation all around. I mean, Clearly, sport, the ESPN doesn't, you know, really value the, you know, the big names and the, the old time names, SportsCenter. Everything's personality driven. They go on, a, you know, the Van Pelt thing does well. And it's a different, it's a whole different medium and ball game now. So they obviously are trying to trim salary and Kenny was making a lot of money and it's a salary cut. Yeah. Uh, do Are you interested in my yes, take? Yes, yes, you, yes, 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 yes. I, I, although I feel like I've written this to death at this point, given that, you know, I, I, I Kenny Maine. Uh, and I appreciate it, you know, uh, agreed to do an interview with me very quickly. I was the one who um, reported, not not any genius by me, he literally just told me that he, you know, he was asked to take a 61% pay cut from Norby Williamson. So what's very clear, Jim, is that um, you are correct. They're looking to bring down salaries across the board. They've made a decision that there's going to be a couple of people that they're going to break the bank with, you know, Stephen A and Mike Greenberg and... You know, uh, Scott Van Pelt, a couple of others, although uh, a lot of those contracts, of course, are, you know, were done prior to this sort of, you know, the last year in terms of renegotiating. Um, but I also think, and this is where I'll, I, I'd be interested in your feedback mm -hmm. on this. I think there's management now that really believes that the four letters are the star and not the individuals. Right. It's, it's ESPN is the star. The sports rights are the star. And guys like Kenny Maine even if we appreciate their longevity, can be replaced. I'm not even saying like they're wrong about like the four letters being the star because you are of course going to watch ESPN like for the uh, the NBA game or Monday Night Football. But you know, for a long time, you did push that network as one personality driven. Mm -hmm. Right. And two, you have pushed that network as sort of being unique in the space. You know, if you are quote unquote the worldwide leader in sports, you are de facto saying that your people are the most interesting or the best reporters or the biggest personalities. So I think that's part of the shift is I think guys like Norby Williamson and others have probably, you know, sort of calculate the math and be like, we can have some anchor doing sports center, $400,000 as opposed to a million and a half. And the ratings and viewership aren't going to be much different. And if people don't like them or is it, or is it connected to them as they were with Kenny Maine, so be it. We're willing to take that loss. That that's, and again, I, like I am a talent person, so I think that sucks. But you know, if I was a business person, I, I do understand that calculus. Yeah, there, right. You're saving money, and and your viewership's going to be the same. Yeah, I mean that's and you know, and it, I think listen, if it was another anchor, I don't think it would be as dramatic. Um, but he's been there 27 years. He's that connection to those of us who watched the show before the internet was around, and that's how we got our sports news. I think there's a lot of nostalgia with Kenny. So people feel that one um, in terms of the business. Yeah. I, you know, it's the sports center thing is so weird because for a long time, obviously it became, you know, 
the show's irrelevant because you get your highlights online. And then there was sort of like a right. bounce back. And then it, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I think the, the Van Pelt model is sort of. The, then it was, what's the, what's the viewership of 6 p.m. Sports Center? I'm just so, I'm, I, that's the most important thing in my life right now. Right. Yeah. And now right, we're back right, to right, a different right. place. Right. Um, so I don't know. I think the Van Pelt model is the, is sort of the way to go and, you know, have sort of a personality right. type show. Yeah, although the he's at this point, he's really the only unless I'm miscalculating, he's really the only sports center anchor who's really allowed to sort of create his own kind of style, right? Like he's the he's the he's the closest to whatever you think the nineties um was, you know, or or were. Um I will say this. My my last point is this, like I can only say this a million times. Like nobody should feel bad for Kenny Maine. Like yeah. he, he made a shitload shitload of money in his twenty seven years. He had a lottery ticket job. He's making he's a he's a one percent guy when it comes to the you know, the annual income of the United States. All that said, Jimmy, if someone tells you to take a sixty right, percent pay cut, they might as well tell you right, to fuck exactly. Up, right. I mean that that's essentially what it is. They're they're telling you they don't value you as a worker. And I got a lot of respect for the guy to just basically walk away because that is a lot of money to walk away from, even if you've made a lot but, of money. You know what I mean? Like, and you're 63, and if you're Kenny Maine, you could have just like, ah, fuck it, man. I, you know, I'll work for one more year at, uh, I'm making this up, you know, $500,000 or something like that, and and take some more bank and, 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 and then leave. So I think, uh, um, I don't know. I, I admire the fact, and maybe he could do this because he's famous, but I admire the fact that he said, you know what? I feel like my worth is more than this, and I'm-, I'm Yeah, and- Listen, if you're going to leave or if you're going to be, you know, forced to leave, this is the time because there's so many opportunities out there where, you know, he'll get a podcast, he'll do a streaming show, he'll, you know, you can car- you can carve out a, a good niche for yourself these days. Yeah, I mean, this is where we get back to that gambling thing, right? Is that I have no doubt that, uh, um, you know, Kenny or, and I, actually Kenny does not have an agent, but I, I think people who sort of are good with this probably connected to Kenny and said, Hey, if you end up doing commercials or if you end up doing your own podcast, like we can get some real sports gambling money to, to sponsor this and you'll be in a good position. Listen, I know Trey Wingo's in a great position post ESPN, uh, uh, with his podcast. Um, you know, that's the one thing about, e, uh, that's the one thing. If you use ESPN correctly, you know, you, to my opinion, you try to make as much money from them as you can. You try to build up and get your name. And then now in 2021, there is so much money to be made elsewhere where maybe five years ago, like if you if you got laid off by ESPN, you were right. in trouble. Because, you know, I'm, now I'm only talking about th- th- this stuff is only really existing for, you know, well-known people. You know, if it's me or you out there in the market, we're, we're not getting a half million dollars to sponsor right, the podcast. Right. But, if you're, but if you're Kenny Maine, yep. you are. Um all right. Oh, that was a good discussion, Jimmy. I appreciate that part. All right. Our streaming conversation's over. That went well. Let's finish up with this, Jimmy. Um, and we'll do a little wrestling because, again, I never really get to talk uh, to uh, with wrestling with anybody. Um, WWE and AEW, this is not the Monday Night Wars. This is not WWF versus WCW. But I find, like, sort of where both of these um, – where both of these places are is really interesting to me because uh, AEW seems to have found an audience. It'll be interesting to see when they move because of the NHL to see if that continues. And the WWE, while the numbers have been down over the last year, I expect them to go up a little bit when they start traveling again, which they just announced. Um, where do you think wrestling is just as a whole in terms of popularity and p- popularity specifically to like sports media and um and stuff being on the air. I, I imagine if you put the Fox guys under truth serum, I think they're disappointed with the numbers, but there's still room. There's still room to turn that around. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's weird because it's definitely a down period. It seems like for the industry and the numbers, you see the ratings for raw and SmackDown and you think, wow, this is pretty low. And then you see that it's still the highest thing on cable, the highest thing on Friday night. You know, it, yeah. it still does exactly. very well for what it is. Especially young yeah. people. Right? It yeah. still does very well for what it is. I think there's, you know, people have changed the way they watch. You know, the older people have changed the way they watch it. You just, you know, pop the clips on YouTube or whatever. You don't have to watch a two, three hour show. 
I think the pandemic hurt wrestling more than almost any other sort of sport out there. If you, I mean, you, I never realized, you know, you're seeing so, you know, with the Knicks now in the playoffs, you're seeing all this stuff about the crowd, the, oh, the crowd, so the crowd. great to have a crowd. Like I that. never, like, yeah. you need a crowd in wrestling. Like, it's, it's, you do, you do. You have, it helps the storyline, yeah. don't you think? And yeah, I just, and I, and I do think the overall product is very hurt by the fact that you can't say or do anything these days without getting in trouble. And wrestling has always, are you talking about like this? Oh, you talking about like Cena with China or are you talking about, no, no, I'm talking else? about like wrestling has always pushed the envelope. And now listen, they've yeah. done it in times that was extremely over the top, but that's what was the, I mean, the rock would do bits about his strudel. Like he, yeah. he could, he could, a lot of, a lot you of couldn't do, jokes. no, but I'm talking about like, he would say to Lillian Garcia, like, I know you want the strudel. You can't, yeah, they boycott, you know, they you can't do that today. You can't, um, you know, the Vince McMahon kiss my ass club. They're not doing that today. I don't, you might be able to do that. I mean, there are some things that are horrible. Well, that you shouldn't. I, do. Yes, I but mean, they're evolved. But again, yeah. though. It's a lot of racist tropes and stuff. I, I the kiss my ass club probably could happen today. You don't think so? Where he had Trish Stratus on all fours telling her to kiss his. Oh right. yeah, I forgot. Well, that's what I'm no, saying. No, that did, no chance. That, but yeah, even that I mean, they happen. had the Undertaker. The Undertaker put Steve Austin on a cross and was crucifying him on one episode of Monday Night Raw. <laughs> well, I forgot yeah. about that. All right, maybe. All right, your point is well um, made. Yeah, a lot of that stuff would. But not even fly even back. just the suckets chance from DX. I think that could fly still uh, in, in on cable in twenty. Maybe I don't know how Fox right. would feel. On you Big think Fox, Fox wants, but but yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know what you're saying. But it's so weird though because like I, my instincts say you're probably right. Yes, yet we're don't you think we're less of a uh, of a of a of a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you know, cursing is pretty ra- like cursing is rampant on. But cable I'm not talking about cursing. Like, I'm talking about nudity. It's not. It's not like. But I'm not, not talking about crazy. cursing. I'm talking about like. St- Here's what I think the WWE, the WWE's biggest problem, and it's been this way. For, well, first of all, there's way too much product, two shows. And yeah, I agree. Where do they go for storylines? There's, I don't know how they make compelling. What people are interested in is the behind the scenes stuff. They're not interested in the in-ring stuff. You know, like yep. we talked about Adnan Verk getting fired. That's going to be a much more interesting story than, um, you know, whatever Sheamus is trying to do on Monday Night Raw. The behind the scenes stuff is what people are interested in. I don't know how you create stories in this day and age that are like, now listen, I, I'm very, I think the, the Randy Orton, Matt Riddle stuff is hilarious. And I, I think that's funny. And I'll watch their segments. But, uh, but what are the stories that they're supposed to, I mean, I don't know where they go. No, Roman Roman is their be- Roman is their best story right now. Right, but even that, sure. I mean, but, listen. But I don't know where that's it's going. It's the same right. thing every point, week. That's the problem, and he's. I know he's great. He's actually great on your podcast. I, it's one thing I'm jealous about. I wish. Uh, yeah. I wish I can get Roman on because I think he's, he's such a, a good performer. But, he, but and, his uh, story is the same exact thing every week. Correct. The problem is the story, in my opinion, has sort of run its course. The head of the table. The tribal chief. At a certain point, all you're doing now is rerunning the playbook with just a different opponent, right? right? That's right. the problem, you know. So it's so it's Cesaro or it's Drew McIntyre. Um, so I think, you know, it's interesting. I I think there are performers that are very interesting that they have not figured out or they had just sort of killed on storyline. Seth Rollins is a perfect yeah. example. Who was he was at one point like the most important performer in that company. At the moment, they cannot figure out a storyline for him. And he, I do think they're hurt by he, like Becky Lynch being out and some and Ronda being out, but like they do have some people: Jimmy Charlotte Flair, uh, and uh, and Seth Rollins, uh, Sasha Banks, Bianca Belair. I mean, Bailey, like big time performers. I think who could do anything, and they got to figure out like what to do with these guys that makes it compelling for people to yeah the talent the talent is not the issue at all they have plenty of talent it's it's the writing and the storylines and i you know i I don't know you know i thought they missed the i mean again i i pitched i said this to i say that did i say this to someone i i may say it to a wrestler off the air but i thought they missed a huge opportunity during like the election like they should have had a QAnon character or a they can't do it, but you Vince, well, Vince, right. and um, and Vince's, you know, um, Linda McMahon had connections, right. <laughs> like you know, she was a part of the Trump cabinet. Like you can't, uh, 
They're not going to go there. But, they're also pretty. But can you imagine? A, a, they're, they, they have been, don't you think they've tried to be apolitical in the last 10 years? Well, Five I don't years. know how they can be apolitical when Linda was working for Vince for Donald Trump. Yeah. I, by the way, she's not a member of the cabinet. My apologies there. Linda, Linda McMahon was the administrator of the uh, Small Business Administration. Because nothing says small business like the WWE. Like the WWE. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's pretty obvious that they're, GO, they're, they're Trump GOPers. And so if you're Vince, the... I don't you think it'd be a little bit risky. Well, I, I just to, use that as an example, but to I feel- do to do politics when your when your family is absolutely connected to. My point was that they used to spoof current events and what was going on in the news. They, they don't do they don't All do the that time. anymore. Well, look how much money they made with like Sergeant Slaughter and right, like, okay, and the Iron Sheik. I mean, that was their. Right. Not saying it was good, but that's how they made and their it money. It was good, but also like you know, a, a few, couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, whatever the thing came out about like there's aliens or UFOs. Like, have a wrestler come out and talk right. about that. Like, I yeah. think that would be good. I, yeah. I like that. And what? All right. So, lastly, as we finish up this, uh, uh, I like AEW. I think they're here to stay. I think. Uh, um, I think they got some really talented performers. I love Jericho. He's probably the most interesting wrestler, I think, working today in his ability to uh, um, just sort of come up with uh, different things, redefine who he is. Uh, Moxley, I thought, uh, Moxley continues to be a really good performer. MJF is a great heel. Uh, so they have some things to work with. I, the one thing with AEW is I think they got to develop more female talent. That's where the WWE, I think, really beats them on uh, in terms of high-end uh, female talent. But I, I like what Tony Khan's doing. I think they, they got a good production. and It does feel like there's room for those guys long-term. I hope that's the case. Yeah, listen, it's a great story. And quite frankly, I'm way more interested in something I just saw on Twitter that I would like to talk to you about than AEW. The Knicks have announced that they will, if they then... This is going to be so old, by the way, by the time people listen to this. So, But, but go the ahead. Knicks, the Knicks announced that if, they, that if they advance to the second round of the playoffs, they'll exclusively sell tickets to vaccinated fans. Well, you know, that's, well, that's my some people ex- lose, their, lose exactly. their minds. I mean, where like, like going to get some going to get some going to get some Karens out there to, to, to walk down 34th and start screaming. It well, here's my that. question about it. Like, how do you do like so someone goes on Ticketmaster uh, and how are they supposed to prove they're vaccinated? Well, I would imagine, again, keep in mind, I'm not in the U.S. right now. You are. But do you not have a little card, Jimmy, that, that you tells you that tells people that you've been vaccinated? Yes, but how twice? do you do that if you're buying tickets on Ticketmaster? I would think without knowing how they're going to set this up, maybe you have to scan that card into the system. And, and that's the only way you can get the ticket. Is that that's just a guess. Um, but this is, this is, well, this, I mean, again, but this, this is why podcast, but this gets it. This is fascinating because this is going to get into the whole thing with sports is how do you monitor, or if you're going to do this, if you're going to sell tickets or just have places within a stadium that are sort of, you know, like vaccinate vaccinated, uh, um, you know, parts of this crowd, like, how do you check it? How do you make sure that it's right? That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's why I'm fascinated. Story. And I'll say one other thing based off of what happened this week with the popcorn and Russell Westbrook and the Nick fan is spit on Trey Young. And there was an incident. Yeah, horrible. And both those fans, all those fans. And incidents in Utah. This Go is ahead. going to get worse. And wait till football comes back. This is going to get, well, this problem, is not, the, this the is issue, not a. One of the issues is you got people all over the country and they feel differently in different parts of the country about COVID, right? And about. Uh, all the stuff in Texas, it's you'd, about, be out, you'd be laughed out of the stadium. With it's this about the way people behave and the way people behave now over the last 12 to 15 months has been abhorrent. And now it, you're going to see the, with these people coming. This is what happened this week is not going to be an aberration. It's going to be a trend. Mark my word. It's going to be bad. You, th- oh, you mean in terms of uh, like doing shit to players in terms of people behaving like animals it's people always behave like animals at sporting events now the hatred in this country and the division is up to a level we've never seen people have been cooped up in their houses for a year for a long right and everyone has this attitude about they can do and say whatever they want with no ramifications we saw it for the past year with people who don't want to wear masks or people their freedoms and this and that i'm telling you and now you go to a sporting event which, which have been empty for a year. They come back. They're all drunk. It is, the sporting events are going to be really, 
really ugly when everyone comes with the, with people coming back now. It's going to be bad. I'm telling you. No, what, what, I mean, what an optimistic. I mean, who, who, Jesus. What kind of human being are you to spit on another person? Like that's I the lowest of the lowest. I'm with you. It's the lowest of the lowest. And yeah, and you 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 are. We we if this continues, I, I I'm not as pessimistic as you. But if this continues, we are on the road for another incident where players are eventually going to go into the stands. Oh, there's a hell out of people. It's there's go, it's well, I don't even. For, and I'm not saying just basketball. Like this is going to happen. Well, how about when you're? Like, how about there's going to be a sporting event somewhere sometime where someone's wearing a mask, someone's not wearing a mask. The people, the presidency, why are you wearing a mask? You're a sheep. Yeah, and then people right. are going to start fighting. Right. I agree. Unfortunately, that is going to happen. I, I agree with you. Think about it. If you were in a one-on-one fight with someone, like on your street, you probably wouldn't even spit. In it. This this is someone spitting at someone in a public place where there's fifteen thousand people around them. To, to and, and fifty thousand. To think cameras. that you can do that. I, How I did we get to that whole other right. podcast? All you have to do, all you have to do, is go look at all the Karen videos from the past year of these people. And now that's going to be brought to sporting events because there haven't been people at sporting events for a year. Now you're going to see it. There is, uh, unfortunately, there's so much grievance yes. right now in this country, right. in, in the U.S. It's not. And, there, and, and there's a lot of. You're, we'll, say, we'll save that for a different a, podcast. There's a lot of. You're not going to tell ever. me what to do. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't. Don't. How dare. How dare you tell me how to shop in a supermarket? Like, uh, when there's a right, so now you're gonna have stadiums and arenas with this section's vaccinated, this section's not vaccinated. These people, yeah, no, I, I'm with you, man. I mean, I'm not, I won't go into it now, but it, we will have this conversation at uh, at yeah. another time because it's a long one. But I'm with you. It's it, it's it's a troubling place. All right, Jimmy Trainer, you know him, you sort of love him. Hmm. Sports Illustrated writer, he's got train of thoughts. My sources tell me one of the most popular uh, features at SportsIllustrated.com. One of the guys who's keeping that website afloat. He's got the SI Media podcast. What what episode are we on now with the uh, SI Media? Podcast? I have no in the four hundred. No, it's three something. I have no idea. I don't really. Keep... When did I stop? Was I into the two hundreds? I, I don't I remember. remember. I don't keep track. I don't remember yeah. either. I just. You got to be honest. I did, I did set you up with a nice uh, nice little foundation yep. on a house. I'm not saying you haven't done nice things with the house, but yeah. You know, no one's disputing that. Yeah, I'm just. Right, I'm saying, you know, yeah, you put a couple extra floors on it, but I did, did give you a nice foundation. Uh, is there anything you want to promote before we no, get out of here? Just the just the SI Media Podcast. All right, check out GSI Media Podcast. I mean, Jimmy and I are rivals in a sense. I guess we're competing for people. You I, are not uh, me. I couldn't ears. kill us. But but here, let me finish. But I'm honestly not. As I've gotten older, I realized that like, not right. really. You know, it's a these are all niche podcasts and. If you're really, really into this, you're probably going to listen to both of us. It, it, it's so it's it's not even. No, it's, not, it's not a fight. It's just it's it's just nonsense. All right, Jimmy. All thank right. you. I now have to decide if you're going to be first or last. Do I do you first, the, or do I do Kavit? Uh, this is this, this is Kavit why you get paid the big bucks. Yeah, I feel like you're but you're the be, you're the you'll you'll be like a, more of an entree, and 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 she'll be sort of the first couple courses. Sounds good. All right, Jimmy. Train everyone. Thank All you. All right, anytime. Jimmy. Take care. Thanks for having. Me. All right, back to the studio. My thanks to Kavitha Davidson and Jimmy Trina for their time and insight. It's always fun to catch up and talk to Trina. Check out his podcast and obviously check out Kavitha's podcast as well. Uh, before this, previous guests, uh, Lauren Stowell and Jenna Contreras and Julie Stewart-Binks. Uh, Lauren Stowell and Jenna Contreras uh, were the directors of an amazing documentary, 144, which went up behind the scenes on the WNBA. And Julie Stewart-Binks doing her excellent work at FUBU. Uh, before that, James Andrew Miller on the end of Kenny Maine at ESPN, where we uh, went pretty deep with uh, uh, the Kenny Maine uh, exit. And then before that, the future of sports viewership and ratings. And then before that, Steve Kornacki, NBC News, MSNBC national political correspondent, who's now getting into horse racing. Uh, head to the archives. Um, got a lot of different things there, which I think you'll like, whether it's uh, Renee Young or Stacey Dales or Steve Levy. Uh, all sorts, John Orand, a lot of different guests. Hopefully you'll dig. If you like this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and a nice uh, note. That's how it continues because it is a niche podcast, as I said. My thanks to Patrick Antonetti and uh, wish him uh, the best of luck with uh, his family. Got a couple things he's dealing with right now. My thanks to uh, Sean Cherry 
and everybody over at Cadence 13. Thank you. And of course, thank you to the listeners for uh, continuing to check this podcast out. And we'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.